You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It is time. It is time. They can't be the Packers. Are you crazy? Listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. I got some complaints after the last episode that I was talking over my co host. Of course, that would be my two month old daughter. And uh, people said that she had Packers opinions she wanted to share and that I was not letting her say her piece. So please welcome to the studio, Miss Addy. Okay, what do you have to say? It's a microphone. You can't chew on it. Okay, what's your thoughts on the Packers? Let's hear them. Well, I think that she speaks for all of us. Uh, I also just kind of want to cry watching this team play. So thank you for your your thoughts. I'll let you get down for your nap. Uh, Sleep well. You deserve it. The trade deadline was pretty frustrating, I think, to just about everybody. Packers fans, non-Packers fans, uh, people who think we should tank, people who think that we should um, go even further or or all in. All inner, how's that? Then we already are. Uh, basically, everybody, I think, with the exception of a, a few folks um, who are eternal optimists, who kind of, I don't think, could see a negative situation. And I think what was the most frustrating was what it revealed to me about the Packers front office. And I've done a lot of thinking. Um, I had an extra 24 hours to think about this, uh, basically, because my episode is supposed to go out on Wednesday and it's going out on Thursday instead. Um, scheduling issue. Uh, so I had more time to think about it before I recorded. The Packers front office handled this trade deadline pretty bizarrely, I think. We saw... Uh, For three weeks straight, a Packers team that was not competing. All right. They, they, They didn't keep it close or competitive for four quarters against the Giants, Jets, or Commanders. Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst were watching the Commanders game. Um, uh, a reporter, Kyle, um, uh, Malzan, Malzan, I don't know how you say his name. Sorry, Kyle. I'm sure you don't listen to the podcast, but I'm sorry for butchering your name. Uh, was tweeting that he was sitting right in front of them and how awkward it was because <laughs> of their obvious 
uh, disappointment and and uh, discomfort with the game and and that they left uh, before it actually ended, just kind of in disgust. And the Buffalo game, I I really felt kind of wound up being in that no man's land in between. Hey, here's some encouraging signs that this team is about to get going and that you really should push even more chips on the table to, you know, go all in her in between that. And this team really is as bad as we thought, <laughs> like, like you could make a pretty convincing argument either way. I don't really think that we learned a ton about the Packers during the bills game. If anything, it just kind of eroded some of the new theories that we were building, like that this team really was bad, that they really didn't care, that they couldn't show up prepared, that the defense couldn't hang, that the offense uh, couldn't stick with the run game, that Rodgers couldn't throw to the open man. All right, all these new theories we were starting to build kind of just eroded during that game. But they were not replaced by any good theories. They were just... I feel like you left that game with more questions than you had answers. And it was frustrating to me because of the timing of the trade deadline, because I felt that Goody really was stuck in a situation where it was really hard to make the decision. Do you give up on the season, start trading away some assets uh, trade away some guys who are very expensive, probably won't be here next year, certainly won't be here two years from now, who don't really belong in a rebuild, who could get you a lot of capital in return. Let's give you an example. Aaron Jones. The dude has a cap hit that is insane next year. So it's, it's over 20 million bucks. Now, if the Packers are still Super Bowl contenders for the duration of this season and feel that they are Super Bowl contenders next season, there is there are options in front of you to redo his contract, tack on some extra years, spread out some cap hit, and keep him. You can do that. But he's 28 years old. He is very expensive. He is uh, probably toward the very tail end of his prime. He's probably going to start regressing, I would say, very soon. Running backs do not have a long shelf life. And right now, you could probably get maybe a first-round pick, certainly a second-round pick for Aaron Jones right now, trading him to uh, a, a team who is competing for the Super Bowl this year, whether that's Philly, uh, Buffalo, Kansas City. There are teams out there who I think would be more than happy to add a piece like Aaron Jones. The 49ers just did so. And they didn't give up an actual first round pick, but they gave up the equivalent of a first round pick for Christian McCaffrey. I think Aaron Jones is right there in the same conversation as Christian McCaffrey. You could have gotten a lot out of him. I'm not saying that we should have. I'm just saying, as an example, Aaron Jones is one of those really valuable pieces that you could have done that with. We have some other guys who are getting up there in age or are very expensive and don't belong in a rebuild. 
If you're doing a full rebuild, obviously makes sense to move Aaron Rodgers. You could move David Bakhtiari. You could move Devondre Campbell, Adrian Amos, um, Preston Smith. All right, these are pieces you could move to stockpile capital for a full rebuild if that's the path you want to go down. Clearly, that's not what the Packers want to do. We do know that. We know that they don't want to do that based on their actions. The problem is, I was talking last week about how we paid for the 2021 season by maxing out our credit card and spending our salary cap for 2022, 2023, and a little bit for 2024. Actually, actually, <laughs> we, we do have contracts that are spread out as far as 2026, but that's neither here nor there. That's, that's not what I'm worried about. What I don't know is what their plan is because the Packers are behaving like they are trying to chase a Super Bowl championship, like they want to be an all-in team to an extent, and then they don't really follow it through all the way. I'm going to elaborate on that in a second. But I got a bunch of questions throughout the week from listeners um, who, you know, I, I, I thought maybe my last podcast was kind of rambling on a little bit too much toward the end about the mishandling of the salary cap and, you know, and where I was complaining about Gutekunst, which is new territory for me. I don't, I really don't complain about Gutekunst very much. But I had a bunch of questions from people saying, hey, that part actually was really interesting to me. And, you know, you kind of ran out of time. You left me with more questions than answers. And I'm turning a lot of this over my mind and still thinking about it. Can you elaborate? And so I had a good conversations with several people this week who had reached out to me, kind of continuing to explore my thoughts along those lines. And I want to be clear. I think that Gudikins did a really, really good job with the mandate he was given when he was hired. Bruce Irons on Twitter had a, uh, he took it down, so I can't read it to you, but he laid out the situation when Goody was hired, and you had the back third of uh, Rogers' career to try and take advantage of. You had a uh, disjointed locker room, a roster with some talent, but not, not a great roster. And he quickly, really quickly built a Super Bowl contender from 2018 to 2019. The growth was explosive. And then his roster went on to win 13 games a year for three years and were uh, favorites to compete for the championship every single year. He did a phenomenal job uh, of accomplishing that goal. Now, 2021 and 2022, I, there are significant challenges that he is trying to overcome because he's trying to continue to stretch out this Super Bowl window further than it really was supposed to be open. Rodgers was not supposed to still be here by now, I don't think, as evidenced by the fact that they drafted Jordan Love. Um, and they have further complications because of the COVID year. And they've used up all their money. They don't have the ability to continue to 
bolster the roster with outside acquisitions. I have a lot of sympathy for the fact that it is a challenging position to be in. Generally, I like the Packers' plans that they lay out. And and for the first two years there, 2019-2020, it clearly would, you know, the, the plans were very good. They worked. 2021, I didn't like the plan, but the plan still worked. They won 13 games. They were the number one seed in the NFL. They were heavy favorites to go win the Super Bowl. And then the team, for reasons that are kind of unbeknownst to us, and Robert Tunyon spoke about it afterwards, the team started losing faith in themselves, stopped playing well, and have not really recovered since then. And that's not Goody's fault, though. Coming into 2022, I liked the initial plan that we knew of heading into the regular season. But I had some questions, and I was starting to wonder whether the Packers ever have a plan B. Because a lot of the time, it seems like they have an idea of how they think things are going to go. They plan accordingly. And then if things change, <laughs> they're kind of caught flat-footed. And I think that this trade deadline revealed that that is absolutely true. And there are other parts on the roster you know, with individual players where we can, where we can highlight this a little further when we will in this podcast. But looking at what we specifically learned about the wide receiver room, because this is what everybody wants to talk about. And I think it's very relevant today. Plan a was we're going to bring back Devonte Adams, assuming we can get Aaron Rodgers to agree to a new deal. They did get a new deal done with Rodgers. They could not get a new deal done with Devante, who flat out refused to come back. He said he wanted to go to Vegas specifically. They sent him to Vegas, and they never really had a plan B after that. I mean, really think about this. Your plan A was Devante. When all of a sudden Devante is no longer in the equation, what you have instead is some cap space. You have two high draft picks. Since the guy you were planning on building your offense around is not here, you need to replace him. And Mark Murphy spoke after the Devante trade, and he spoke glowingly of Devante and expressed appreciation of him. And then to the fans, he said, there's a lot of time between now and the start of the season. We can address the wide receiver room. We can bring in a few receivers. And we have these draft picks from the Devontae trade. Well, the guy we got instead was Devontae Wyatt. Now, I like Devontae Wyatt. Devontae Wyatt was one of my favorite players in the draft. I was and still am ecstatic that we got him. But this is also like me taking the money that's supposed to be used for my mortgage payment and buying a new car with it. Like, yeah, the car is great. I'm going to get a lot of value out of this car. It is going to improve my life. It's going to make life easier in a lot of ways. 
this new car is going to last me a long time. It's a well-built car. It's a quality product. But <laughs> what about the mortgage payment? I spent my mortgage payment on this car. Now, technically, you're saying, wait a minute. Didn't we take Quay Walker with the pick that we got from Devonta Adams? Well, what, do you think Quay Walker was going to be there at pick 28 when they took Devonte Wyatt? Do you think anybody else was going to take him in between picks 22 and 28? I think it's unlikely because of the positional value of linebacker, because the Quay Walker pick was um, unconventional enough based on what we were hearing that people thought of this linebacker class that I think had any linebackers gone there, it probably wouldn't have been Quay. This is not me saying that I think Quay was the wrong linebacker to take or even that he was the wrong player to take. I'm not saying that at all. But my point is, Quay Walker was probably going to be there at pick 28, as was Devontae Wyatt, we learned. Well, had both of those guys been available, they would have taken Quay Walker at pick 28. Because they took him at 22. <laughs> they liked him enough for 22. They would have taken him at 28 if that was the only pick they had. So Devontae Wyatt is the bonus player we got. Now, the second round pick that we got was burned in trading up for Christian Watson. And again, I talked about this last week. There is a lot to like about the draft prospect that was Christian Watson and the young player that is Christian Watson. There's a lot to like there. There's a lot to be encouraged about to think that, yeah, you know, in the future, he might really develop into something really special if we coach him up right and, and give him the training that he needs. He could turn into something really special. And this year, um, you know, best case scenario, he can, if he can stay healthy all year, he can be our MBS this year. Okay, well, you're taking the capital that you that was Devonte Adams, who was your plan A for your offense. And you're turning that into more help for your defense and an MVS replacement. Now, Brian Gutekunst doesn't want Christian Watson to be an MVS replacement long-term. He wants Christian Watson to be the Devonte Adams slash Jordy Nelson replacement going forward. But no one in their right mind would have looked at where Christian Watson was as a draft prospect and said, yeah, in year one, he can be your Devontae Adams. Like that was painfully obvious how raw a player he is. Now, I think he's a smart kid. He has all the athletic traits that you would hope for. But as soon as the draft was over, I said, you know, I think Romeo Dobbs, who we took in the, in the fourth round, probably is going to be the bigger impact in year one, which is way more true than I thought it was going to be. I was, I really was talking more <laughs> on a much more uh, microscopic level. I, I, I didn't mean, you know, that Christian Watson basically wouldn't be a factor in the offense at all. And Romeo Dobbs would arguably be your wide receiver one halfway through the season. That was never something that I was considering. But that's where we are. And part of that, part of the reason why we're here is because it was a risky move. 
But I'm also not sure, like, had everything played out the way Gudikins thought it was going to work, where would we be then? Like, did he think that Christian Watson was going to come in and be Jordan Nelson from day one? I don't think so. I think that their plan, even though Murphy had expressed the thought that, well, yeah, we could draw, we could draft multiple receivers, we could uh, trade for a receiver with one of these, one or both of these picks. Like these are these are things that Murphy was thinking about, that he discussed, and instead, <laughs> they they rolled in the season with Alan Lazard. Now I like Lazard, and I even said before the season began that I thought that this plan could work. I thought that the biggest benefit of this plan would be if it forced Aaron Rodgers to throw to the open guy instead of staring down his favorite receiver. And that obviously has not been the case. He has continued to stare down whoever he wants to throw to on a given play. Separate issue. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about how we got here and where we're going. But we're going to the end of the trade deadline and... The Packers are trying to trade a second-round pick for Chase Claypool. Number one, I think that a move like that should have happened earlier if you were going to do it, you know, before you dropped four games in a row. Number two, and neither one nor two are are the biggest issues, but we got to get them out of the way first. Number two, I'm not sure Chase Claypool actually fixes this offense. I watch a good bit of Steelers football. One of my good buddies is a big Steelers fan. He always pressures me to watch these stupid Steeler games. I watch a lot of them. Chase Claypool was a guy I really liked in the draft. I was super high on him before the combine, which is where he really impressed and caught people's attention. And he ended up uh, going in the second round. The Packers tried to trade up for him in the draft and, and couldn't get there. And so they took A.J. Dillon instead. But since getting into the league, I mean, he's been a frustrating player to watch. I don't think he's very intelligent. I don't think that he has the required amount of football intelligence. He's a very frustrating player to watch and reminds me in many ways of like what kind of the worst case scenario would be for the development of Christian Watson. All right, Chase Claypool has all these athletic gifts. He's he's just a freak. But he's got like nothing between the ears and he's turned into a very frustrating and disappointing player. You know, and, and this is what we are really hoping we can avoid with Christian Watson. It's what you're hoping you're going to avoid with any really talented player who is raw. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. But the biggest problem I have with what went on with Chase Claypool is that they didn't have a plan B. Their plan was, we think we need receiver help badly enough to give up a second round pick, which is highly coveted by Brian Gutekunst. And so we're going to trade that away for Chase Claypool, who we believe is the guy who actually could fix our offense. I, I, really have my doubts whether he's a good fit for the offense, even if you do happen to like him as a player. I don't think that he's a fantastic fit for our offense. But all that aside, you didn't have a plan B. And when the Bears outbid you, you just ran out of time and did nothing. So you acknowledge that what you have is not good enough and that the situation is dire enough that you were willing to give up a huge amount of compensation for the guy. But now that you've done nothing, we're just going to stand pat. There was no plan B. They didn't move soon enough on Claypool or Cooks, if you believe that reporting, to actually get a deal done. And the clock ran out. And then they're just sitting there going, "Eh, it's good enough. It's fine. I mean, it reminds you a lot of the Devontae Adams situation. We were waiting all year. I mean, as early as May, we are hearing the reporting that the contract extension talks are not going well with Devontae. And you burn all this time after the league year is over uh, and and you're trying to get this all figured out and, and you run out of time. And Devontae said no to you, and he didn't have a plan B. Thankfully, plan B ended up being, hey, we can trade a guy who's not even under contract with us and get a first and a second round pick. Like, holy crap, that was amazing. But when your situation changes, your plan should change. Your plan was, we are going to go compete for a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Devontae all of a sudden is no longer 
a part of that equation. You don't have the option of doing that anymore because he refuses to play for you. Okay, fine. So your plan needs to change. The plan can't be... (laughs) The plan can't be... Let's draft a developmental guy who will be a huge asset for us in a couple of years if we develop him right. I know that I complain about Christian Watson a lot. You're probably tired of hearing about it. But is this something you can argue with? This particular argument I'm making here that Christian Watson never was going to be ready in 2022 to be your number one wide receiver. So they decide, well, Alan Lazard is our number one. And then Alan Lazard wants more money, and he holds out. And they still really didn't make any changes or moves. They just hoped that the contract situation with Alan Lazard was going to resolve itself. And it sort of did. He agreed to come back and play. I don't think he's going to want to be back here next year. Even if they offer him a good contract next year, I think he's going to hold a grudge. I think most people would if you're telling your team, I'm worth more than this, and they're saying, no, you're not. Come back and play for this amount or sit out the year because the rules are designed as such so that you have to do that. And so you're like, well, I'm not going to make zero, so fine, I'll come back and play. And they're like, good. Yep, come back and play for the amount that we told you you're worth that You said you are better than. I don't think many people would want to come back (laughs) next year. Now, maybe they'll get things done. They have time to patch up that relationship, figure that out, make them a better offer. We're just seeing too many instances here, though, though, where the Packers hope things work out a certain way, and they don't seem to have a plan B for if they don't. I'm going to Stop talking about wide receiver for a second. Let's talk about Elton Jenkins, because I think he's a great example of this. The offensive line was my biggest concern heading into the draft. Um, Now, I was very satisfied with the steps they took to address it in the draft. I would have liked to take a bona fide tackle earlier, you know, day one. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe the second round. All right. I, I talked about this a lot on the podcast that I really wanted to get a tackle in the first or second round. And I think that that would have helped the offense a good deal. However, at the conclusion of the draft, I looked at what we got out of it and I said, all right, I, I don't have a massively high opinion of Sean Ryan, but I think he's good enough. Um, I like the pick and then Zach Tom was a guy I was crazy high on. Had we taken Zach Tom in the second round, I would have been over the moon. We got him in the fourth round. Steal. I was more than happy to go into the season with Zach Tom as one of our tackles as a draft prospect. I liked him that much. I also actually really liked Rashid Walker. I had him as an earlier prospect as well. I was blown away that he fell to the seventh round at all. Um, And then when we got him, I was quite happy. I didn't feel great about the situation. I felt like uh, Zach Tom could be one of our starting tackles. I thought that probably left you with Yash Nyman as your other starting tackle. Although I acknowledge that there could be a battle with uh, Royce Newman, uh, Cole Van Lana at the time. 
but that still left your guard spots a little mushy. I think John Runyon and Sean Ryan made by far the most sense to me for your guards. I was pretty happy with that five-man lineup, with the exception of the tackles. I, I just felt like going into the season with that many unanswered questions at offensive line was way riskier than I was willing to do. I certainly thought they should have brought somebody in. The Packers felt like they already had their somebody in-house, and it was David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins. Problem is, their plan A didn't work to perfection, and they didn't really have a plan B. See, Elton Jenkins is clearly still nursing a bum leg, and he's having a hard time finding a spot on this offensive line where he belongs, one-legged as he is. Now, in a perfect world, you could have left Elton Jenkins playing at just one spot on the interior all season. You could have started him out at left or right guard, had him practice there, and not be bouncing him around all the time, and certainly not be asking him to be a starting right tackle, you know, a spot where he basically has never played. But David Bakhtiari is back, and he's not back all the time, which means Yash Nyman has to be a rotational left tackle. He can't be your full-time right tackle. The Packers assumed that Bakhtiari and Jenkins were both going to be back and back at 100%. Instead, you're using two guys to fill in the left tackle spot and asking Elton to be your full-time right tackle. And you could argue that things are maybe improving along the offensive line, but we are halfway through the year and still don't really know who our five are. And I think that you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who thinks that the results have been anywhere close to acceptable. And I do think that the origins of those struggles have their root in how the plan was put together to address this offensive line. They brought in a bunch of different pieces that they thought that they could develop over time. And they thought, well, we probably can get five good guys out of this group for this season. And thank God that they were right that Bakhtiari and Jenkins were healthy enough to get back into the lineup at all. But I think that there are very real questions about whether having Bakhtiari out there playing is what's best for Bakhtiari. It certainly does not seem to be what's best for the team. Not right now. Not when you're getting this 35% of Elton Jenkins that you have. Another spot on this roster where they didn't have a plan B was safety. And I've ranted and railed about the depth issues at safety and at edge rusher. I mean, pretty much for the entirety of 2022. There were questions about Darnell Savage. I was higher on him, by far higher on him the most going into this year. I thought that he probably would not have any problems, really. I thought he would get back to kind of who he has always been rather than the borderline disaster that he was the last third of the 2021 season. Unfortunately, he pretty much picked up right where he left off. I was wrong there. Where I was not wrong was that having only two safeties was not enough. Now, they did finally go out and find Rudy Ford, and I think that he has been exactly what we needed. He's our third safety, and you do need three safeties. 
Kingsley Nagbar is becoming the edge three out of necessity, but the Packers don't trust him enough to put him out there for any kind of extended snaps. I think the Packers need to quit insisting on walking two walks at once. You can't construct a roster that doesn't have enough veterans and also insist that only your veterans can play. You can see that the defense does struggle mightily when Rashawn and Preston are not on the field. There's certainly areas on the roster where you see young guys playing and there are mistakes and it's frustrating. And you have Rodgers saying, well, maybe guys who make so many mistakes shouldn't get playing time. Yeah, that is a part of the equation. But if that's your philosophy, you need more veterans on the roster. A guy of Sammy Watkins' quality is going to make fewer mistakes than a Jawan Winfrey or Romeo Dobbs is going to make. So if that is your priority, then load up on more Sammy Watkinses. I don't know where the Packers go from here. They again don't seem to have a plan. They acknowledged that there is a problem with wide receiver that was so dire that they needed to throw a second round pick at it, but apparently not so dire that they would throw a second and a fifth to try and fix it. And not so dire that when the Chase Claypool negotiations aren't moving along as quickly as you'd like and time is running out and you're in a pinch where they might not accept your offer, why don't you have other negotiations going? There's not a lot of fantastic options out there, I acknowledge, but I didn't think Chase Claypool was a fantastic option. I think there were certainly other options out there about as good as Chase Claypool. And now we are in a spot where you're heading into the rest of the season with a roster that the GM acknowledges is missing something and no plans to address it. What are you going to do? Are you going to try and sign Odell? Because you've tried to do that in the past and he said no. Odell doesn't really want to be in Green Bay. He's never wanted to be in Green Bay. I think he still probably does not want to be in Green Bay. He can't be your only plan. But knowing the Packers <laughs> and what they've been showing us so far this year, I'm not sure that if he is their plan A, that they have a plan B waiting. I think their plan B is, well, I guess just roll with what we got because the cost to improve is too great. So let's just hope that guys start playing better. And part of that is the reality of having such a limited salary cap. But you had such a limited salary cap because you decided at the beginning of the 2021 season to go all in on your plan A, which was, man, we were just a couple of plays away from the Super Bowl in 2020 at the end of a very long campaign. And we think that if we bring all these exact same guys back, we can navigate that campaign again and get right back to that same situation. And this time we'll play better. And this time we'll win the Super Bowl and then it's worth it and we can do a rebuild. But there's no plan B, even when Aaron Rodgers is holding out. There's no plan B. The plan A is, well, we think that things will work out between Aaron and ourselves and we will get this all negotiated. And he's going to come back and play and it's going to be great. And the team isn't going to suffer from having such a disjointed, weird offseason. 
and the team will continue at the level they have been in 2020, despite the fact that that basically never happens for any team in the NFL. You don't put out these dominant teams year after year and just bring all the same guys back and expect to find the same magic you had the previous year. That just doesn't happen. And we'll bring Zadarius Smith back with a completely unaffordable contract because we assume that even though his play went down a bit in 2020 compared to 2019, and even though he has started to deal with all these weird health issues, and even though we're starting to see locker room issues with him, we assume that things are going to get better and it's going to be worth it to have him for one final year. And we don't have a plan B. Now, plan B could have been working out a different type of contract with him where you sign him for a longer period of time for a lower cap hit so that you're not forced to move on from him in 2021. That probably makes him, or I should say 2022, that probably makes him happier in 2021. And maybe he plays the season. There is a feeling among fans when you're watching a Packers game that they don't really know how to make in-game adjustments, halftime adjustments. It feels a bit like an organizational issue as well. They didn't have any ability to make a change when it was quite, quite clear that Maurice Drayton was not the op- that was not the right answer at special teams coordinator last year. Now, I told you that he wasn't the answer when we first hired him. When we hired Joe Barry and Maurice Drayton, I said, you know what? Barry is not the guy I would have hired, but I can see the logic and I think this will work. With Maurice Drayton, I said, I don't get it. I'm choosing to trust the team here, but I don't get it. And I don't think this is a good hire. And then before the season even began, as we're just listening to what's going on in training camp, I'm livid and I'm just mind boggled that they are continuing to put up with this guy and continuing to trust him week after week. And Matt LaFleur trusts him and sticks up for him week after week. Nothing changed. Everyone except for the Packers knew how bad of a job Murray Strayton was doing. This year, Joe Barry has been, I think, pretty clearly an issue. You got uh, Coach Hahn and Sam Holman, who know a lot more about football than I do, and who usually go to bat for the coaches whenever, especially Coach Hahn. And even Coach Hahn is saying, I don't know that Joe Barry is going to work. And Sam Holman came on this podcast and said, yeah, I kind of have lost faith in Joe Barry's ability to scheme up this defense and have his guys prepared and call the right plays, make the adjustments that need to be made. And Matt LaFleur has asked a couple weeks ago, would you consider making any kind of a switch at coordinator midseason? And LaFleur says, absolutely not. (sighs) Very similar to when Mike Tomlin has asked about moving on from Matt Canada. And again, if you don't follow the Steelers very much, the Steelers have a horrific offense and have for multiple years. Even when Ben was there, the offense was bad. Matt Canada is a disaster as an offensive coordinator and play caller. The Steelers are not making any kind of a change there. And Matt LaFleur is saying he's not willing to make any kind of change at defensive coordinator. And I think that it would be a lot easier for me to trust that decision had we not seen this play play out a couple years in a row now. Menenga 
should not have been brought back for 2020. He should certainly have been fired midway through the 2020 season. Maurice Drayton should not have been hired at all. And he certainly should have been relieved of his duties midway through the 2021 season. I think the Packers need to learn to adapt a bit. I like their plans. And most of the time their plans work out. The problem is whenever their plans don't work, they don't have a plan B and don't seem to have any willingness to change their plans. This has been a downer of an episode, and I want to end on some kind of cheerful things because I actually feel better about the Packers right now than I have since the Bears game, probably. Certainly since the uh, Buccaneers game. Here's Devontae Adams. He gonna, he gonna make you play better. He gonna, he gonna bring out your best just by being on the field. It's not even about like, like he was a great leader, but it was, it was more so just about, I'm out here with Aaron Rodgers. Like you would always notice in OTAs, like, you know, every now and then a, a guy that's in his, what, 15th year at that point or whatever, they get days off in OTAs. So it'd be times where he wasn't practicing and you would just notice people start to like, not, not fall off, not, not practicing hard, but it wasn't the same as when Aaron is out there. Like he, he, like you don't even think about it. You know what I'm saying? It's like somebody doing something versus, versus like with nobody watching them type thing. You know, you obviously gonna run a little harder. Your coach watching you, so it was kind of that type of effect. And he, he made me a better player out of that because the consistency came from that. And then, um, yeah, I just try to build on that. And and like I said, obviously the football and the arm strength and stuff was a, was a big part of it. But but yeah, he he made me a better player just by his presence. I like hearing something that challenges what we were expecting to hear. Rodgers is certainly key to the team's success, and there's been a lot of criticism thrown his way, including from me, both in the last few years about his leadership and about his level of play this season and his leadership this season. But... I think we weren't really expecting to hear that from Devontae talking about Aaron excelling in that specific area. And I think that challenging our perception of what's going on in that locker room that we're not a part of, I think is huge, huge for our dialogue about the team as we're trying to figure them out and and trying to get along as a fan base. Rogers went on Pat McAfee. Um, I guess uh, Tuesday, and he was talking about the Halloween party that the Packers threw. He said it was players only, no coaches, but he was talking about the guys who were there and what they were wearing and describing the amount of fun they were having and how much they all were still really enjoying being together and spending time together. And it was cool hearing him talk about not only the individual players, but also their wives and girlfriends what they were wearing, what their personalities are like. I liked hearing it. I felt like I learned a good amount about the state of the team that I didn't already know. He also was talking to Matt Schneidman after the trade deadline, and he was asked about seeing teams like the Eagles and the Vikings going out and continuing to add premier talent right now. And his Quote, I think surprised all of us. With all due respect to those teams, we're chasing some other teams right now. We got to get back in the hunt. Those teams are out front right now, 
I'm worried about our guys that we got in the locker room. So if you're expecting Rodgers to be mad that they didn't go out and get Chase Claypool or Brandon Cooks, sounds like he's not. I do think that the team as a whole, the organization, the locker room, the coaching staff, I think that there is an identity crisis happening right now. And I think that there is a problem with the plan that they put together coming into this season. A plan that I did like, but I'm an idiot. I'm just a podcaster. I'm not running a football team. And it's not my job to have to account for the what-ifs of what if Rodgers can't learn to get along without Devontae and can't throw to a guy who's open who doesn't have 17 on his jersey. I'm not sure what the Packers are going to do to address the wide receiver issue that they believe they have. I think everyone believes they have it. But certainly... When you're willing to throw a second round pick <laughs> as a Packers GM at a problem, you uh, midseason, you believe that it is a crisis. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't think they really have any remaining options. I think we're probably a day or two away from hearing some writer out there <laughs> talk about bringing Gronk to Green Bay <laughs> as the solution. Uh, might work. You never know. But I did also get asked during the week about my last episode, like, why are you going in so hard on Gutekunst and Mark Murphy right now? You have been a defender of them for a long time. Yeah, I defend them when I think they're in the right. And I think for the last several years, they have been taking an enormous amount of heat for things they don't deserve heat for. I think that they are deserving of some criticism right now for how they handled the Devante transition, for how they handled the salary cap over the last two years, and how they're handling this disappointing season. I think that there needs to be some statements, at the very least, about the season and where their head is at on it and what what their thoughts are on this completely unprecedented situation where you have Aaron Rodgers, who is the biggest underdog of his entire career. In fact, the biggest underdog the Packers have been since, what, 1988, something like that, last week against the Bills, and on a four-game losing streak, something they never do. I think any other team who had lofty expectations for the season and stumbled this hard, you'd be hearing statements made from the leadership. And instead, Matt LaFleur is out here having to answer questions about why they didn't trade for a wide receiver. That's not his job. He shouldn't have to answer those questions. Brian Goodkins should have to answer for the decisions that are his job. Now, I'm not saying that he definitively made the wrong call, but I do think it's BS that he has Matt LaFleur out there answering questions for him. I think Gutekunst needs to talk to the press himself because he knows the press has huge questions. And yeah, you know what? The answer is, well, we tried to make something happen. It didn't work and we didn't want to overpay. Yep, that is the answer. We all know that's what he would say. But why is he making Matt LaFleur say it? And their plan over the last couple of years has not worked. 
and fans are upset and the media is upset. And I think, let me just say, I don't have warm feelings or a good relationship with the majority of the uh, beat writers for the Packers. I think that they are better than many NFL teams. But one thing that is true is that the media is the go-between for fans and teams. A sports writer's job is to represent the fans. All right, the players make a ton of money. They have agents who represent them. They can go talk to the teams themselves. The sports writers are the ones representing fans to the teams. Fans have a lot of questions, so sports writers are asking them. I think that's exactly as it should be. And what's missing is that the team is not answering. And usually I don't think that they owe an answer because usually I do think that the noise is whiny fans and bored sports writers. You know, the the Packers are a a one-loss team three-quarters of the way through the year and are playing with their hair on fire and beating everybody in their path. And fans are upset because the trade deadline came and went and you didn't make a move. Oh, well, boo-hoo. Things are different this year. And since they're different this year, and since there are a lot of reasons to question the decision-making and leadership, I do think that Murphy and Gutekunst need to talk to the media. I think it's time. This isn't obviously the point of my podcast. The point of the podcast was, I think they need to have a plan B. And they need to be willing to adjust. And I don't think that their plans have been working. But I'm just tacking this on at the end that I think it's time for them to come out and make a statement. I think they should have already. But it is absolutely past time now at this point. We got the Lions coming up. Should win that game because the Lions are terrible. I still have a lot of questions about the Packers. I don't think that the performance against Buffalo was great. I think there are a lot of encouraging things that we saw there that you can build off of. And hearing Rodgers talk about the way they've been practicing this week and his optimism for it and all that is not totally meaningless. Could be the start of something new. I'm not picking the Packers to lose this game, but that is more about where I think the Lions are at. I think the Packers are, at best starting to find their way forward from where they have been. thought Rodgers had a pretty good performance against the Bills. I thought he played really well. I thought he was pretty terrible against Washington, but I seem to be one of the only people who thinks that, so I'm willing to let that one go. Um, Aaron Naylor pointed out on Twitter that he thinks that Rodgers has played better each of the last three weeks. If that's so, then hooray. I think if they do stick with this dominant run game that we saw is possible against Buffalo and pair it with better play from Rodgers. I think that that could help the offense really find its footing. We saw earlier in the year uh, against the Bears, against the Buccaneers, that the offense can really work, at least for a while. I don't see any reason why it has to stop working halfway through a game. If you want my opinion, I do think that the Packers should have been sellers of the trade deadline. I think they should have moved a bunch of guys, tried to free up cap space, tried to uh, grab draft picks. If you were going to trade for anybody, trade for somebody similar-ish to Claypool in that they are young and 
will be cheap for a few years still. All right. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's something you do. I think they should have been sellers. I think it is time to tear down and at least do a mini half a year rebuild. Try and get the cap seller cap healed to at least some sort of extent and and reload for 2023. I think that's what they should have done. It's not what they chose to do. And since they decided to continue on the path they're on with the team that they have and keep chasing a Super Bowl this year, I think they should have been more aggressive in trying to add the missing pieces that they feel they had. So that's my two cents. I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for listening. Do go ahead and reach out to me on Twitter at JJ Leahy or on Patreon dot com slash jj lay if you want to uh share some support and send questions for the show i would love to talk to you guys and get more content for the show uh i would love to do another uh another few episodes of of answering questions you can also send in texts or voicemails the phone number to do that is 231-714-4195 i will talk to you next week on the packernet podcast network